Welcome to the Crow's Nest. My name is Thurza. I will be your host. I get a lot of questions about my name in real life, so I'm just going to answer some of those ones. It's spelled T-H-I-R-Z-A. It's Hebrew. It's the name of one of the daughters who wins the right to inherit her father's property in the Hebrew Bible story. It means delightful. I think it's accurate. Hopefully you'll agree with me. Some things to know about me. I am 22. I'm 22. I work for the Guelph Tool Library as the operations coordinator. I just dropped out of university. I am $30,000 in debt, I think. I purchased a bus, and I'm going to fix it up and move into it. Despite no building experience, I plan to do most of it on my own with the help of friends and family. I don't like pears, and I don't really listen to podcasts. It's not that I don't like podcasts. It's just that I've never really been good at listening to people when I can't see their faces. I always get super distracted by whatever's in front of me, so podcasts have never really been my thing. But I am very excited to host one because I love learning, I love connecting with people, I think I'm kind of funny, and I think I'm kind of interesting, so hopefully I'll be a pretty good host. My real desire is to share the exceptional people and experiences that I have discovered while working within systems dedicated to community betterment and the sharing economy. And I really want to share those experiences and share those stories because I really think that's the foundation of human experience. Now you might be wondering why a tool library would be interested in starting a project like this. And I think that's really because tool libraries and podcasts really aren't that different when you think about it. The Guelph Tool Library, its purpose is to share tools and knowledge and support. And the Crow's Nest, our motivation is really to do the same, but digitally. I want to share tools and resources with you, and I want to share knowledge, both my own and to be, I guess, a conduit of, of sharing knowledge that I find interesting, that I learn from others. My goal here is to provide entertainment and inspiration and education, and I want to do that through sources that maybe some people might not have considered or realized were out there. So if you learn something new, or you laugh, or you have a good time during this, I will have felt very validated and successful at my job. We're going to start close to home with Stephanie Clark, who is the sustainability coordinator at the Guelph Tool Library. And we're going to talk with her about tool libraries in general and what she's done and her other projects like her business and her sewing groups that she's been involved with during COVID. So I'm really excited to talk to her and I am really excited for you to come along with me. So, without further ado, let's get to our first guest. Hi, Steph. Hi. Welcome to the Crow's Nest. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming by. How are you uh, holding up this quarantine? I'm doing okay. Um, I, I would say just above okay. Um, like, things are, are um, pretty stable, um, and I'm able to keep doing my, my job in some fashion, and I've sort of filled in uh, with some other projects. Um, so my time has been thoroughly occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, sort of the uh, mental aspect of, of holding up has been a little up and down, but mostly up. So, mm-hmm. What kind of projects have you been doing? I have been working through a 13-year-old uh, fabric stash, making... Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, some of it's probably even older than that. Um, some of it's probably even from my childhood. Um, but for a long, long time, I've been a hoarder of textiles. 
and I've been um, turning them into uh, cloth masks and caps for um, essential workers and for other other folks as well who need them. So I've been really lucky myself in terms of supplies. Um, my dad actually has an industrial sewing supplies business. Oh, wow. Um, and he's had some old stock that he's been um, dropping off on my porch. And then I've been dividing it up and um, letting other people access it as well. Um, and we've just been been donating that, that stuff. So um, I think I've probably connected with about 10 different um, local people who've been been just grabbing it off my off my porch and um, making masks and caps and gowns and whatever other um, supplies have been needed for essential workers. Wow. How many articles of um, personal protective equipment would you say that you have had a hand in creating? I made about 35 of the caps and I've probably made about 40 masks so far, Um, but I've got another... 20 cut out um and um i know that for the caps that we've been donating to the um guelph general hospital that we've reached over 500 through the group that i've been working yeah our goal was a thousand and i think that we're going to quickly exceed that goal and maybe be able to um branch out to some other organizations that have needed them as well um i was was able to get some to um Grand River Hospital in Kitchener as well, uh, through a friend who works there. So, wow, it's been it's been really um, really nice to be able to have something that's related to the current state of things as a as a project because it's completely outside of anything I ever would have thought of sewing before. Um, but it's it seems really important to be doing um, if you're able to to contribute to it. Um, there's a few, a few Facebook groups that have been set up and the one that I'm a part of has over 200 members and we've been able to share supplies with each other, share advice and just kind of keep supporting each other. Wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. Many hands make light work as they yes. say. Many, many hands, <laughs> many, many hands. And I know a lot of people have hands to spare with nothing right. else going on. We're all in a, a state of having nothing but time, most of us. Um, so it's it's been really great to have something to um, focus on at this mm-hmm. uh, this weird time in our lives. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what the tool library has been for me. Speaking of tool libraries, would you like, should we talk about what a tool library is? Because I'm sure a lot of people don't actually know. Yes. Um, so for the folks at, at home, um, for the folks is, at home, which is where we all are or yeah. should be, um, <laughs> if you're not at home for the folks, not at home, please go. Yeah. Home. <laughs> um, for the folks at home, a tool library is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's a library, uh, but instead of loaning out books and media, we loan out tools, uh, for all kinds of projects. We currently have almost a thousand tools in our inventory and there's a a range of the kinds of things you'd use for maybe gardening, home repair, home improvement, carpentry, uh, kitchen, arts and crafts, party supplies, um, and then even some other like fun things that you wouldn't think of like a podcast recording kit 
Ooh, or, maybe or one a, that I'm using right now. Or a YouTube video kit that I might be using right now. Wow. Um, and um, we, the way that our tool library operates, we have a $40 annual fee. Uh, the membership is good for sort of two people, a couple of households. Um, and it's good for a year and allows you to borrow up to 10 items at a time for up to a week at a time. Um, most of those things you can also renew for additional time as well. Um, we have about 500 members and we've been around almost four years. Wow. Happy birthday. Almost. <laughs> almost. It's yeah, kind of summer. Like we like started a little bit in May of the first year and then we really kind of kicked off August of the following year but um, when we moved into um, our home at Tyler but um, we're like three and a half almost four um, right now so coming out of our toddler stage and now we're like a preschooler (laughs) we've learned so much yeah it's it's really grown too Um, I've been with the tool library almost two and a half years and we went from being around 125 members when I started to now sitting at over 500 current members. So Incredible. That's quite the spike. Mm-hmm. Exponential growth. <laughs> yeah. How did, um, how did you specifically come to be involved in the tool library? Uh, in late 2017, there was a posting um, for a position called a job creation partnership. Um, And it's basically a um, subsidized job for folks who have been on EI or mat leave within the last couple of years. And I fit that bill because the job that I had been doing for many, many years closed down um, and I was looking for something new to do. Um, I had gone back into into a similar position and I was not really happy with it. Um, So... I was like, well, let's give that a go. Um, And I ended up getting that position, uh, which was an 18-week placement. Um, And then I stayed on as a volunteer for a few months. And while I was working as a volunteer, uh, we found out that we got an Ontario Trillium Foundation grant. Yeah. So um, that kept me around for a year. And now we're sort of at the place where we can have a part-time employee to sort of keep things keep things level. And um, I've been staying on in that position for the last um, six or seven months or so. Wow, it's been a very long eighteen weeks, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny um, getting towards the end of that eighteen weeks. Um, they were still giving me like parts of these ongoing projects. Like we had just started a project called Sew North, where we were collecting sewing machines and sewing supplies to be sent to Arctic communities. And I knew that when we started that project, that oh my gosh, I think today is my like last day anniversary, um, April April fourteenth. Sorry, I just realized that. <laughs> Happy last day anniversary. <laughs> And then I'm still here. And I'm still here. <laughs> Two entire years later. Um, I knew that as that project was sort of getting going, that there was no way that I was going to be just like going back to doing something else. Um, I had, had been looking for some other jobs that were like way outside of, of this um, field. And I was like not 
feeling that into it. And, um, and so I was really, really excited when the um, Trillium grant came in and I got to start in a new position as the sustainable initiatives coordinator. I definitely relate to that feeling of um, like going from a nonprofit, you know, this really interesting, rewarding work and then you leave that contract and it's like, okay, I'm supposed to go back and do what I was doing before now. Like Mm -hmm. I finished last summer and I was, you know, returning to serving and it was like, okay, how am I supposed to keep doing this after (laughs) I was doing something so cool and interesting before? And now I'm like, hi, like, can I take your order? (laughs) Yeah. Leaving, leaving behind the world of buying and selling was genuinely very exciting. Um, and realizing how many people have felt strongly about a sharing economy was um, was really um, something that inspired me to keep going, keep looking for grants and funding and different projects that we could be doing to engage with our community and to um, come up with different initiatives to um, to help get people really involved, even if they weren't going to be a traditional tool library user. That was so nice to be able to to keep doing things with the tool library. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because um, the tool library itself is such an incredible and unique idea, uh, but it's really not applicable to everyone as much as that sucks. You know, there are really people who just they have all the tools that they need (laughs) and for the tool library to be able to create other kinds of programming and workshops to sort of get everybody from all walks of life involved. That's really awesome. And a lot of those folks who have more tools, um, more tools than they need we end up recruiting them as volunteers because <laughs> yeah. they tend to be they tend to be very handy as fixers um, or they might want to help with things like deliveries um, or even working as a librarian or a workshop instructor um, mm-hmm. so we we recruit um, all of those people um, for for our own selfish needs <laughs> yeah um, and they've they've been people who have really helped strengthen the tool library and a lot of them end up donating some of those tools um, very true which is even better <laughs> yeah the one it always seems to be that donations come in huge like piles you know it's someone mm-hmm. I'm like they're like hey I have 20 things do you need all of yeah. them <laughs> that's a really fun thing when we get um donations coming in is uh you kind of get to go on this history lesson with another person mm-hmm. um especially if, if they're willing to sort of share when or why they, they got this tool or what it was used for in their, in their life. Um, and we've been able to, to hear a lot of really interesting stories about what, um, what folks have done with the tools that they've had. That's definitely true. Yeah, I'm very excited. I hope to hear some of those stories I mean, yeah. as part of the, hopefully people send them in. I think I think people will um, will want to share those stories. Um, mm-hmm. We've we've shared some in our in our newsletters and blog posts before, and generally people are pretty eager to um, to tell you what's going on. Do you have any personal favorite stories that you've heard? I'm trying to think of of some. I during the Sew North project uh, when we were collecting sewing machines and supplies we would get to hear about like all of the things that, that people made with their sewing machines. Um, and then sometimes there would be the, the like packs of notions and, 
and old like needles and pins. I have this this one box. I wanted to keep it so badly because um, it said toilet pin box on what? it. And I was like, I don't know what that means. But I guess like you would keep pins in your bathroom, presumably for affixing things to your person mm-hmm. that may or may not be hygiene items. <laughs> okay. But um, but the it just struck me as so cool that somebody was like, you know, parting with this so that somebody else could be using it as like a functional item. Mm-hmm. Um, and like as somebody who worked in textiles for many, many years, any vintage um, textiles, notions, machines fascinate me to no end. Um, and so getting to hear like, oh, I made my daughter's wedding dress on this machine that would be so precious yeah it definitely like makes my heart sing a little bit um when when I was thinking about like all of the generations that might have used some of these older machines and um but my least favorite one was finding a dead mouse inside of a machine awful that's (laughs) awful how would a mouse get in there truly terrifying I don't know how um, I made my friend's boyfriend uh, retrieve and dispose of it because I was terrified. <laughs> How old was the mouse? Um, like I didn't run a, any tests. Any diagnostics? No, we didn't do like a postmortem. <laughs> oh, okay. um, I wasn't like, oh, let's count the rings like a tree. Um, and I was mostly too terrified to look at it. Yeah, that's fair. But, um, I mean, it was small, but. Most mm-hmm. mice are. <laughs> I was more wondering, like, did it have all, did it have all of its skin and stuff? Like, was it oh, like, like a skeleton? It, like, how long had the mouse? Was like, yeah, not like how old was the mouse? <laughs> was it a baby mouse? Um, oh, that. Like, I mean, it was still intact. Okay. So I don't think it had. I don't think it had been there that long. That's good. <laughs> Once when I was serving, I found a bat. Actually, someone else found a bat, and I took it home. I oh took my a, I like packed it up into like a to-go cup and I gave it to I gave it to my boyfriend at the time who was really weird. For like <laughs> taxidermy purposes or I think he buried it in the ground to get its skeleton. Okay. I just like gifted him a bat and never asked about it again. <laughs> We're taking this to a dark place. Yeah, this isn't really like in our in the tool library's um mission statement of We went spooky. We I'm did. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Um, so what is your job at the tool library? So my current position is uh, the sustainability coordinator and programming coordinator. So with that, um, I basically plan all of our workshops, all of our community outreach events, um, with the exception of the repair cafe. Um, but any time that we're like doing an event at the public library or something with the city uh, that gets planned by me. Um, or if we do um, do another, like a workshop as sort of a private booking that gets done through me as well. We've okay. done some, some corporate workshops, some lunch and learns, those kinds of things. Um, but we run two or three programs a month. Typically we'd be running them out of our space right now. We're not running them out of our space because uh, we're not running anything out of out of our building, but we are running um, virtual workshops right now. And what do those look like? 
So on Monday nights um, over Zoom from 6.30 to 8.30, we run craft night. Um, so craft night was something that we would run once a month in our space where you would bring whatever craft project that you were working on and you would be able to use the crafting tools um, that were available in the library. So what we're doing now is more of like a make, do and mend kind of thing, just using whatever supplies that you have um, available to you. So we've had people come on that have been doing knitting and crocheting. We've had people doing embroidery, mending. We had somebody doing basket weaving, which was basket really weaving. Cool. That's I know. incredible. I want her to do a demo if she would be up for it. That would be so um, cool. Because it was such a such a unique project, and just like watching this thing come together over that over that time was really really cool. Mm-hmm. I have um I have a friend. She's actually the the friend who designed our poster for the clothing swap, oh, cool. Maddie Skeen, making shapes on Instagram, and um, she was collecting just before everything started shutting down. She was collecting as many plastic bags as she could, and she crocheted them into a basket that's so cool and it's like a because like she she didn't rip up the bags at all like she kept them all the way they were and so it became like really thick Mm -hmm. and so it's like a very like sturdy freestanding basket (laughs) um yeah if anybody ever wants to come into our our zoom craft night and maybe teach a particular skill um that's something that we're open to we also do run two uh, weekly live streams over Instagram Live. Uh, one is operating on Wednesday nights. It's not through our channel. It's through the Backyard Caring Programs channel, which is a, a program that we offer through the tool library. Um, and what they've been doing, Meredith, their program um, instructor, has been teaching me different things about backyard gardening. Cool. So we um, started getting some seedlings ready a couple of weeks ago. And then um, we've been talking about compost, um, planning out your backyard plot. And then this week, we know it's definitely still too cold to um, start planting outside because it was snowing today. Horrible. Um, (laughs) The worst. Um, But uh, we have, um, yeah, she's been basically just working me through the process of how to start a backyard garden because it's something I've never done before. Um, I didn't really have any tools or supplies, and she's sort of showing me the the best way to do that as a novice gardener. The street over from ours, they've been doing at 7.30, just like banging on pots and pans and stuff uh, for essential workers. And a couple times, my roommates have just gone over onto the street with all of like their circus stuff and did a performance while everyone's just like banging on drums and stuff, That's which is very cool. cool. Yeah. Have you experienced community resilience in a time when it's illegal, basically, to be a community? Yes. I feel closer to a lot of my friends and family, um, coworkers, neighbors, people I didn't know before, because we're all reaching out to each other in ways that we wouldn't have thought of. We're checking in on, on people more. We're bringing groceries to folks who can't get out we're really demonstrating like how much we need togetherness as a, as a concept, even with uh, physical distancing and with people isolating or quarantining or whatever you want to call it. There's a a group called uh, care mongering. It's basically just 
people looking out for each other, people saying like, I'm doing this thing. Does anybody need something? Here's what the lines are like at this store. Here's, here's how the stock is on these, these items. Um, I feel like we're going to keep taking care of each other and more of us are going to realize the importance of that in, um, when we return to, I don't want to say normal life because Mm -hmm. I don't think we're returning to normal in in that that quote unquote sense. I think when we return to being able to be physically near people and when we're able to assemble as crowds and, and those sorts of things, I think a lot of that care mongering aspect is going to remain. Um, and we're going to be, we're going to be taking better care of each other. Mm -hmm. I definitely hope so. Um, I know, especially through the tool library where, you know, the sharing economy is so integral. That's the whole point. Um, (laughs) and for, for sharing to be pretty much, you know, banned in that physical sense of, of sharing items has been, hard to exist spaces like 10c that rely on co-working and rely on people being in the same space so that they can bounce ideas off each other Mm -hmm. you know i I wonder sort of how they're doing how they're um coping with with these kinds of changes to their to their format and how people were connecting with them previously Mm -hmm. definitely strange and really interesting to see how the community has risen up and in alternative ways. It's created like a really unique way for us to check in on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like in my personal life, we've been doing um, movie nights using Netflix party. Yeah. Uh, so we vote on a movie. Um, we do two times a week. We vote on a movie and then um, one of us sets up the Netflix party and then we get to have a chat going in a mm-hmm. sidebar for the whole movie. And we can like, riff on it or try to predict what's going to happen or um, just just have fun and like chat about it like we would if we were all watching a movie in the same room together mm-hmm. um, and it's the kind of thing like I typically wouldn't have gone to to a movie night before um, or like gone out to the movies with a bunch of friends I think the last thing I saw in theaters was the animated Spider-Man a year and a half ago to put a little bit of perspective on how often I go to the movies with friends. Um, it's been really cool to have that twice a week, check in, hang out, see how everybody's doing. And then we're also watching a movie together. So we get to have a little bit of entertainment, but we don't feel like we're just like just having screen time. It's also like a connection time. I've also started playing words with friends with a lot oh, of people. I love words with so, friends. Anybody wants to play? Please play words, words with friends with me. <laughs> Absolutely, I will do that. Um, okay. I'm not very good, um, so you'll probably win. Okay. Um, but I also think they should change the name of that game to "Is this a word?" Absolutely. <laughs> the amount of times I'm just literally throwing characters out there to be like, maybe. And then there have been some that I'm like, I was confident this was not a word, and. Hit, hit myself a triple word score on it mm-hmm. and it was a word and it got me like 46 points Honestly. so you know <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've been really enjoying that of uh, playing against friends and against some some strangers and it's just kind of like a cool way to know that that person is like okay and um and that we're we're hanging out without hanging out 
mm-hmm. a safe way, a safer way to hang out. Mm-hmm. I've been feeling the same way, going stir crazy, but also somehow interacting with my friends a lot more. Especially once I have a couple of long distance friends, all of a sudden it's like, well, we're stuck at home anyways, and I can't see the people who are down the street. So you're just as close. <laughs> yeah, I just sent a package to a friend that lives about two hours away today. And like, normally I wouldn't have sent them any mail, um, mm-hmm. but they they needed um, some of the, the PPE that I've been making. So I sent that out to them and we got to have like a phone conversation and then we got to, to catch up a little bit and... We, we might not have had that um, if we'd been living in different times. Yeah, so. normaler times, mm-hmm. quote unquote. We're learning how to, to carve out time for each other and mm-hmm. how to support each other. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is bound to continue into our new world. I hope so. That's probably one of the only benefits of this whole situation is the chance to strengthen relationships with others. I have one last question. This one isn't really applicable to the conversation we just had, but a lot of the stories that you've been telling have revolved around sewing. And it seems that sewing has been a pretty big part of your life for a pretty long time. How did that come about? Is there an interesting story there? Um, My mom and my grandmother were always sewing when I was young. Um, a lot of my clothing, my Christmas gifts, um, my like quilts and things, they were all handmade. Um, and I wanted to learn so bad when I was like really little. Um, but I was scared of like the machine and the, the needle and all of mm-hmm. the steps that were involved. Um, and so I, I kind of put it away um, until I was about 14 or 15. Um And then I kind of started building up my confidence. I was taking sewing classes at school and I really caught a bug for it. Um, And by the time I was, I guess, 18, I was working in a fabric store. When you work in a fabric store, you're supposed to make what's called a sample garment. So learning to make those like to the letter of a pattern and and really putting a lot of time and work into it um, just made me become a better sewer Mm -hmm. Uh, and then five or six years ago I started doing costumes for community theater um, which is a huge test of your of your skill and patience as a sewer um, because you're sometimes making 30 or 40 garments pretty much on your own wow Um, yeah and about Four years ago, I started a little business making iron-on patches when I was um, not working. And since since the beginning of that project, 10% of my proceeds has always gone to um, purchasing menstrual, menstrual hygiene products for local shelters, community organizations, um, food pantries, um, and anybody in need. Um, they go to libraries, they go to schools, they go to coffee shops to be in their in their public washrooms and it's been it's been like a really important thing for me because it's kept me sewing but it's also been a a really unique way for me to connect with my community and uh, support my community as well Mm -hmm. that's awesome that is at steph so sublime if anybody wanted to get some patches for themselves shameless plug (laughs) absolutely um so you said that there was a Backyard Caring um, Instagram Live, and then a second one. 
Yes. So the second one that we're offering is every Thursday night at 7 p.m. We're interviewing a different fixer from our repair cafe. Um, and we're sort of choosing them based on different skills uh, that they tend to focus on. So, so far we've had uh, bike repair, knife and tool sharpening, and a little bit on clothing repair. Um, and then up next, we're going to talk more about some preventative maintenance um, and some things that you can do to help take care of your home mm-hmm. while you're while you're in it all the time. Yeah. Um, so that's every Thursday night at seven on Instagram Live. Um, there's also a, a reach out to anybody who might be a fixer that we haven't gotten in touch with yet. Um, if they were interested in being a guest on that live stream, I think we have the next two booked um and then after that we're we're looking for some fresh blood some new recruits yeah so steph what's your favorite tool oh man my favorite tool um probably the silk screen uh because i teach all the silk screen classes mm-hmm. and um the best thing about it is when i teach a class people realizing how easy it is um, if they wanted to make like a few custom t-shirts for an event or they wanted to do some like really creative upcycling with shirts that have been in their wardrobe for a long time, how easy it is to use a, um, a stencil cut out on our Cricut and then put it on our, our silk screen. So what is a Cricut? Cricut is a fancy little plotter robot thingamajig um it works as a vinyl cutter and it also works as sort of a mechanical drawing or a like a computerized drawing machine um Mm -hmm. so it works with a a software called design space where you can make um different types of files you can use it to make greeting cards you can use it to make stencils you can use it um to make all kinds of things i've used it for like gift tags and labels and just all kinds of creative projects um and you can use it with a product called heat transfer vinyl if you didn't want to use a silk screen, but you can also make a stencil or make a silk screen with it. So it's something that we don't loan out from the tool library. You have to come in to use it, but we do, um, we do training sessions a couple of times a month and then you can come in as long as you have your own um, device to connect to it. You can come in anytime that we're open. Amazing, because silk screening, I know um, places like Otherwise Studios have done like DIY silk screening, but things like a Cricut and a silk screening kit can be very expensive for the average person afford. So Absolutely. to have something like that at the tool library is so valuable. Yeah, it can it can really help with um, that startup cost. And it's also the kind of thing that like we don't need 300 people with a Cricut necessarily when 300 people could be sharing it to use once or twice. If Obviously, if you're the kind of person who has a small business and they need to be turning out stuff on it nonstop, then it makes sense to have your own. But if you're the kind of person who just wants to experiment with it, play around, maybe make some cards, some gift tags, some other fun things, party decor, we've used it to make like little circus bunting and things for birthday parties, then definitely when we're open and operating again um come and check it out make something fun maybe i will (laughs) i mean i work there also so (laughs) um okay i think that that's all the questions that i have for you today steph beautiful it has been lovely speaking to you i'll see you in a couple days for our (laughs) weekly check-in meeting yeah otherwise thanks boss
Thank you. See you later. Thanks, Steph. And thank you if you are still listening and you've gotten this far of our first episode of The Crow's Nest. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that you enjoyed it enough to stay on and listen to me and Steph uh, talk about the tool library and her family traditions of sewing and how she got involved with that parents and grandparents in those generations have passed down that knowledge and I hope that you thought about maybe your own knowledge and where you've acquired it and and I hope her story of creating masks and how she has stayed connected to her friends and how she's continuing to support her community in whatever way she can from home uh, while staying safe and keeping others safe. And I hope it inspired you as it did inspire me to use whatever skills and resources you have to help out others, you know, even if it is coming from a 13-year-old fabric stash. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. See you next episode.